Hey guys, what's going on? This is David Avalon with another episode of Breaking the Guard with my co-host Robert Drysdale. In today's episode, we have a very special guest, none other than meme master and uh, meme extraordinaire, Drew Weatherhead. And I'll make sure I said that right. (laughs) When you hear the actual intro of the podcast, I mistakenly said the wrong last name. My bad, Drew. Uh, Drew is an awesome guy, really funny, really insightful. Besides being a funny man, he's also a very good instructor. Uh, teaches out in Alberta. And uh, he's been working a lot on refining the art of teaching. Uh, something me and Robert are very familiar with. So we talk a bit about the finer points of teaching, uh, what things to focus on. He had some interesting insights as well that I picked up a few things from. And of course, we talk about memes, some of the the fads, the the origins, and we also briefly touch on why Robert failed to mention in his book and documentary, The Closed Guard, that the true origins of BJJ were rooted in defending the earth from aliens every six years. (laughs) As you guys know, there's the Jiu-Jitsu movie. There's a movie called Jiu-Jitsu, which has nothing to do with what we consider Jiu-Jitsu. But anyhow, uh, we have some fun there also. So we're, we're a little bit all over the place on this episode, but I'm sure you'll get to enjoy it. So go ahead and tune in. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our, one of our sponsors, which is The Closed Guard. The Closed Guard is a project that Robert has been working on for some time. If you've been listening to this podcast at any length, you've probably heard us mention it here and there. Uh, the book is now available. You can order it at theclosedguardfilm.com and you could also find an Amazon just by searching Closed Guard and uh, it'll pop up. Again, the book talks about what is considered the true origins of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which you would think you already know Elio Gracie invented it and handed it down, right? That's what we've been told. But the truth you know, and some of you might think, oh, no, it was Count Coma, you know, and, uh, and that's kind of a blurry line. And as Robert goes into this book, you really see that that isn't exactly the case. In fact, there's a lot more that going behind it, a lot of retelling of, of history. And uh, Robert had the unique opportunity to interview many red belts uh, that were around at the very beginning of uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So, very interesting, uh, very illuminating. It's going to open your eyes as to how Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu really started and also give you insights into how history works. You know, if you're, if you're like me, I'm not really well-read as I would like to be. I forget things really easily, but I can understand concepts really well. And uh, particularly in the intro of the book, it, just in the intro, you, you, you get to see like how subjective history is based on who's writing it, <laughs> right? So... Go ahead and give it a, a read. Again, it's closedguardfilm.com. And again, you can go on Amazon, just type closedguard. And the actual documentary, the, the, the movie is coming out shortly. But at least right now, you can go ahead and order the book. Hey guys, what's going on? I'm David Adelon here with my co-host Robert Drysdale in another episode of Breaking the Guard. Today we have a very special guest, Drew Weathermore. Thank you very much. How are you doing? 
I'm doing good. The name's Weatherhead. Everybody gets it wrong the first time, so you got oh. your one out of the way. It's okay. <laughs> I was just gonna say. I, think I saw Rob's face. <laughs> I know there's something. Oh. I, when it came off my lips, I'm like, there's something wrong, but then let's go with it. <laughs> hey. My bad. Pleasure to have you, Drew. It's been amazing. No, thanks. Thanks for bringing me on, guys. I've really been enjoying your podcast, so it's a real treat to get on myself. Awesome. Um, you know, Drew was uh, affiliated with us. He was on the team, what, five years ago when you were Purple yeah. Belt? Yeah, for a couple of years. That's right. You were a Purple Belt, right? I think that's one. right. Yep. Yes. And uh, he's in uh, Red Deer in uh, in Alberta. 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 Way up there, man. Oh, okay. Nice. But um, yeah, so uh, yeah, uh, Drew has been like, he's, you know, for those of you who don't know Drew, he is the mind behind Because Jitsu, one of the most popular pages on the internet as far as like memes and jujitsu. Yeah. Um, how else would you describe it? Like, is it just jujitsu culture? Yeah, it, it's basically, it's uh, everything satirical about jujitsu. So I poke fun at a lot of uh, goofy shit that happens. And, um, you know, I really vibe with what you've been doing, Rob, with the uh, uncovering of jujitsu lore as it opposes to history, because that's half of the funny things that I like to poke fun at is all of the nonsensical parts that people like to sort of brush over with, with culty language. And it's so easy to make fun of because they can't say anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I always say this, like we've never talked about this before, but like through humor, you can actually you can actually say it's an easier way to say things if you're making fun of them. That's right. right. If you're serious, like you watch Chappelle, if you watch Chappelle's last stand up, uh, Sticks and Stones, I don't know if you guys saw it or not. No, I haven't. Not. He, you, know, you have to. It's, it's probably okay. his masterpiece, but he's constantly pushing that cultural boundary of what you mm -hmm. can and can't talk about. He's on the on the frontier of what's acceptable, even for me, and I'm a pretty open-minded guy. A couple of times, I'm like, "Damn, man, that's pushing it." All. <laughs> that's that's a little too much, you know. But I think yeah, there's there's a certain you get away with it. There's a certain level of art where you can say something that somebody shouldn't laugh at, but they have to. Yeah, it's definitely a very, especially nowadays. I think that line is very blurry as far as uh, yeah, how far you can go before. You you offend somebody and, you know? and not only that you could ruin their career too because if you really get you know Chappelle was always picking on the transgender people for example and then you know he's like constantly pressing that button it's like man you know they're gonna fight back you know <laughs> like but he just gets a kick out of it I think you know but you know I, I, I like what you're doing because it does I, I think that I think it's a sign of growth of the sport as well the fact that you have accounts that are just exists Perhaps not with the sole purpose, but with the main purpose of making fun of ourselves, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We got to we got to take ourselves lightly every now and again because too many people take ourselves seriously, you know. I think to me, yeah, it what's very interesting about all this is the whole concept of the meme. Mm -hmm. you know, it seems like this should have come out like much longer ago than yeah. it did, but like I think that for most people, the meme is a very new thing. But it, and it's so simple. It's just a picture with a caption and a caption. Yeah. This could have been done like when the internet started. Yeah. You know, yeah. But for whatever reason, it took like over a decade before like it actually caught steam. And I think like Instagram probably helped sure. fuel it because it was just a picture engine I, at first. You know. I think it was Instagram that really got the ball rolling. But you know what the word a meme comes from? It's not the what we call meme is not an actual the original meaning of the word. No, the it's word a Dawkins meme, word. It's a Dawkins word. You're right. Dawkins coined and memes are for culture what genes are for the body. 
so memes are like these, you know, superposed like uh, like cultural ideas that we that we live with, and they live on to the next generation, just like genes do. So like religion, you know, would be a meme. That's how he looks at it, right? And for some reason, uh, social media borrowed that word from Dawkins. It has nothing to do with mm-hmm. Dawkins' original concept, but it kind of caught on. That's what memes memes mean now. They mean something completely different. Yeah, it's it's a bit of an uh, incorrect nomenclature. Uh, if you look online, the official term is internet meme, and they differentiate meme in general. So like you're saying, a meme is considered like an idea seed. So something that yeah. seeds a concept into people that, that passes on from one person to another. Uh, and uh-huh. the internet meme is basically mm-hmm. like the, uh, the cartoon version of that. So we, we definitely yeah. pass ideas. Like I've, I take a, a little bit of evil joy every time that I, I make a meme that becomes part of the culture. Like a lot of the things in the leg locks that have happened over the last few years, like some of the wording around that, uh, we've made it super popular. Um, and that, that is the, the idea seed part of the comedy. So like there is, there's actual, uh, changes that happen in the, the, uh, what do you call the zeitgeist, I guess, of jujitsu? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, no, I, I'm with you, man. I think that's, um, um, you know, it's, and it's entertaining, too. Like, I can get lost. Every now and you go on your Explorer page. And I don't lose very often. Sometimes I still like 30 minutes have gone by, and I'm just looking at funny pictures. It's, <laughs> it's highly addictive, you know? And it's, it's like a, I think that's a positive side of the social media people neglect is the humor. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the addiction and the creeping on people's lives and all that bad stuff. And, you know, it takes too much of our time. But as far as humor, I think the world has never been funnier in some ways. Like we, um, you know, like, I don't know, like before you, you had to retell a story, right? If you want, if you remember, if, if, if something funny right. happened, you just pull up video after video after video. Like it's never ending. Like the other day, so I posted a video of like, I think it was like a, a lioness pulling guard on a, she was fighting some other animal. I don't remember what animal it was, but she basically pulls guard. And then it's look like it looks like she's pulling guard. The other animal gets on top, and then it bites its neck from the bottom. Yeah. It looked like a jiu-jitsu fight. I watched that video like 20 times. Uh, yeah, that was like a wildebeest or something. Yeah. But like you don't get that. I mean, it's the it's it, the internet gives you all of that. It comes with bad, but it comes with a lot of good too. Mm-hmm. Well, that's part of the addiction quality to it. Nobody would keep coming back to it if it wasn't uh entertaining or engaging in some way so that's kind of the driving feature uh we were talking just before we went live here about the documentary um what's what's the one called uh the the social dilemma that's going on right now yeah what are your thoughts on that dave hasn't seen it yet i keep telling him uh i think that you know the social dilemma thing it's it's something we all know we're all aware of it we're just in denial about it because we're having too much fun it's kind of like we'll deal with that problem. We know it's a problem, but it's it's such a fun problem, right? Because mm-hmm. we're all addicted to our phones. And the disturbing part is that you know they they know you better than you know yourself. Yeah. You have you know if I ask you to list down like twenty of your personality traits, you get lost. You after six or seven, you start struggling. Google and and, and Instagram and Facebook they have like hundreds, if not thousands, hundreds. of personality traits. Because they know what you like. They look how long you like it for. They know yeah. how long you're staring at an image and they're timing that. They're timing how long you're staring yeah. at an image. And that allows them to better, you know, push advertisement on you, which is, I think that their goal really isn't an evil one per se, other than making money. I don't think mm-hmm. there's anything evil beyond just knowing, finding out better ways of making more money faster through our attention, right? 
But at the same time, I, 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 I'm bothered why. Like, I, I went to someone's house the other day, and they had an Alexa. And I couldn't stop thinking, like, Alexa's listening and recording everything we're talking about right now. Yeah. Which to me is disturbing. That part bothers me more than the fact that they're just, okay, they're just going to send me ads that are more specific to my likes. Honestly, I kind of like that because I don't want to go through every, you know, item on Amazon to find what I really need. I prefer if they just send the stuff that I'm actually interested in my way so I spend less time shopping. It makes sense. But it's that the privacy is the part that bugs me. Like, that's the part that I'm completely against like you know i think in the u.s like this huge movement for second amendment rights which i'm like okay i think there's an argument that i get it and there's complete silence over the fact that we have no privacy i'm like wait a second talking about freedom here one is way more important than the other like our privacy it should trump everything in my opinion right well, where so are you getting where are you where are you getting the idea that nobody cares about that it's it's from uh, privacy yeah it, it's like, where do you get your news? You get it from social media or you get it from the TV. So those are already being filtered and siphoned for you. Yeah. So if, if you think nobody's worried about it, it's because they don't want you to think anybody's worried about it. Yeah, it, it's uh, and, 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 and it's you get quickly manipulated in this, in this sure. story. Like it's, it's easy to get. And not only that, like they're, they're very selective about what kind of information they push you away. And that's the other part that's disturbing. Mm -hmm. and, and Social Limo talks about this a little bit. But it's the same with Google. Like certain topics, if you Google, you're gonna have to go page six, seven to find the right answer. Yeah. Because they're gonna throw. They're not. There's certain things. There's certain like topics that I've done this before as a test. They're more controversial. There's less within the 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 the, the spectrum of what's debatable and acceptable. You have to go page six, seven to fight. You know, find that the answer you're looking for because it's like they're it's like they're selling. They know that very few people will go on page two. You're gonna read no. our item from one to five. So. That to me is a, it's a form of propaganda as well. You know, sure. um, it's just like, I don't think there's an, I'm not convinced there's an evil intent behind that, but at the same time it does, I think it does, it makes us more ignorant in some ways because well, you know, information is very selective. Yeah. Do you guys know the, um, the old AI analogy of the paperclip machine? No, I don't. Uh, so the, the idea, this was a thought experiment where uh, somebody who created uh, an AI, so like an artificial intelligence where its only sole purpose was to create more and better paper clips. And with that intent in mind, they pressed the go button and it turned every piece of matter into a paper clip. So if you don't have enough guidelines around how to do the objective, the objective can itself become male uh, malevolent. Yeah, yeah. No, I think for sure with the whole Google thing with search engine filtering or whatnot, it's problematic because they are a business. So, that of course, they have to do things to generate revenue. And then when you start combining politics and ideologies and stuff like that, the censoring of certain voices or certain ideas yeah. that's going to help their business continue to thrive is going to become an agenda item yeah. at some point. Mm -hmm. And now you're talking about, again, freedom of information that's no longer there because certain information is damaging to that particular company, you know? So I don't know, it's it's very tricky. And companies like Google and Facebook have gotten so big, it's hard for competitors to step in, you know? It's kind of like, we think the UFC is a big dog in the sense that other sport organizations like Bellator and like, you know, when FC are trying to step up, but like UFC is so giant, it's, it, it, it's easy to perceive as a monopoly. Google is like a sun 
and we have like little meteorites of other businesses that are trying to like <laughs> compare to you know so it's it's staggering the scale it would take a catastrophe for google to lose its spot in the world its place in the world like i can't yeah. imagine what would have to happen for google to lose its its prestige because if you, and the other thing too is like for example there, there's an advantage of like companies like tesla and amazon having a ceo who's become a public person like jeff bezos or elon musk but there's a lot of risk that comes to that because it takes one scandal to ruin the whole company. In Does the case it though? Google, because because Elon Musk loves his scandals. He's well, he's like I'm you know wrecked like his own one. stock just to bring it back up. Like yeah, but I think that these are just some PR maneuver. I'm talking about like he gets caught doing like beating his wife or something, right? And then that ruins his company. Whereas with Google. I can't name a single person that's right. uh, like that's influential in Google. Like Google is like it's its body of itself. It doesn't really they don't expose themselves. Maybe that's for the better. I don't know, but I just don't see them losing that position ever. Mm. I can't see how. Well, you want to talk about the zeitgeist to people online? How? When's the last time you've heard somebody say, "I'm going to search that"? They say, "I'm going to Google it." Yeah, yeah. No one says the word "search" is not even in the vocabulary. You're right. Yeah. They're gonna Google it, even if they're using a com completely different kind of a. Um, even if I'm, if I'm searching my email or whatever, it's like it's I'm I'm Googling it. I'm not searching. Yeah, it. yeah. yeah that's a big it's, win on their end. Oh, absolutely. Um, Andrew, you, I know you've been your partner on your. Uh, you guys got a podcast too, the Red Naked Radio. I've been on there. Um, Jamie Kilstein. Those of you who don't know Jamie, he's a stand-up comic, super cool guy. Um, How'd you guys get together, man? Because I've known Jamie for since, I don't know, maybe seven years now, six years. can't remember how I met him, but we go way back. Well, we're, um, I'll get into how I met Jamie in a sec, but I'm not part of the podcast anymore. I actually stepped off about a month ago just to focus on my own jiu-jitsu stuff. I got a lot of other things okay. going on that was kind of taking up the time. But, man, Jamie's a great guy. He's uh, a brown belt under Marcelo Garcia. I knew him as a stand-up comic actually before I knew he did jiu-jitsu. I saw him on Joe mm -hmm. Rogan's podcast a couple times. And, I, was, I don't know, I just the name was in my head. I'm like, he's a cool dude. And then I, I just happened... Uh, we had some sort of weird interaction online where he was commenting on something I was commenting on. Then all of a sudden, like, oh, hey, it's Jamie Kilstein. So we started talking in the DMs and he was talking all about jujitsu and how he loves it so much. And yeah, he was at a point where he wanted to really get into the jujitsu culture online. And he's like, do you want to do a podcast? I'm like, yes, I want to do a podcast. And that was about all. So we did that <laughs> for like 10 months, like straight every week. That was good, man. I like. I listened to a few episodes. You guys got some really cool guests there. Mm -hmm. um, what's the? Let me ask you this: because you've been in this uh, in this like jujitsu media world uh, for a while now, Drew. Mm -hmm. Give me some stories. I bet you got some good stories of people talking shit to you or some hate because you're gonna get hate mail, man. Give me some. Some of your like top three like. Like either through the podcast or through the Kizjitsu page. Okay. Um, to be honest, it's probably less than you would expect because as, as big as the page is itself, for the most part, for like 90% of its existence, it didn't really have a face on the admin, the same way you're talking about with Google. So it wasn't like if I put an opinion out there, it wasn't necessarily Drew's opinion. It was just like this funny yeah. meme. So if I was like shitting on AJ Adler's arm one day, not necessarily he's going to get in an argument with me in the comments. And I definitely do shit on him from time to time. Uh, but but there have been a sorry, I don't, he's not a <laughs> difficult one. I, yeah. I like it. Yeah, there was uh, one point where I pissed off Kenny Florian because I was picking on AJ. I guess they're friends. And it was the point when uh, Wagner Hocha kicked him off the stage in a super fight. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I, I memed it 
uh, of like a slow mo of him being kicked off the stage and um, like like uh, Wagner was Monday and and he was kicking me off the stage like I'm getting my ass kicked by Monday kind of thing. And yeah, uh, yeah Kenny got all mad about that. And there was this blow up. It was kind of weird. Uh, but probably the strangest thing, swear to God, this happened. This isn't even a joke is for a jujitsu meme page. I've actually had somebody send me a legitimate dick pic for no reason, oh, no reason at all. Imagine this is the first first thing I wake up in the morning and I check my messages uh, in the DMs and I go into the requests. I'm like, huh, I wonder what this is. It says there's an image. <laughs> and you know how like you click on a request when it shows like a blurred image? It's like tap the image if you want to see the image. I'm like, I wonder what the image is. It's probably a meme somebody's sending me or an idea for a meme. And nope, just a dick. I'm like, how, how screwed up do you got to be? How bad is the dating world that you got to throw like an unsolicited dick pic to, to an account that has no face on it? You, you yeah. don't have to say anything, but I would guess it's Kit Dale. <laughs> there's, there's a good chance. There's a high probability it's Kit. Throwing that net out wide. <laughs> It's a numbers game, baby. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was a funny one. Oh man, that's funny. Um, I mean, because like you know, there's no way out of it, man. You you know, you're gonna you're gonna get you're gonna upset someone, you know, at some point. And, you know, people are gonna talk shit. I, I laugh it off. Like I used to take it more seriously. Now I just like I go along with the trolls. Like every now and then, I'm like, all right, bring it. You know. I think yeah. it's funny that you could have someone following him your page or any other meme page and laugh at a bunch of stuff. And then when something comes across, they're like, oh, no, 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 now you've gone too far. It's like, dude, you yeah. laughed at all yeah. this other crap. But then this one thing you're going to take offense to, it's like, I don't know, for me, when well, you guys were talking about being able to laugh at yourself, and I think as part of the martial arts, one of the things that we're supposed to have is humility, right? Exactly. And I think being able to laugh at yourself, even at things that are you might be sensitive to, which is your own problem. It's not, yeah, you know, yeah. it's not somebody else's problem. It's your problem that you still really haven't, like you can accept things about yourself and then you can laugh about it. Yeah, mm -hmm. People who haven't accepted those things, they get angry when they see that mirror, you know, which is kind of um, what humor does. It puts a mirror there and if you're not strong enough to look at it and laugh, you know, I think that's on you, not on the guy mm -hmm. showing you the mirror. A hundred percent. Like if it's like when someone talks shit to you and you get offended, you're the one with the problem, not the other person. Yeah. Right? It's, it's like, um, you know, you got the either the new guy or the newer guy in the gym and they don't know their weakness yet. And then like you sweep them 50 times with the same thing and they're like, they get mad at it, you know, they, they, they have a reaction. Uh, and, and sometimes some of those people don't want to find out how to fix that. And those are the people in the comments. Those are the people that are like, you know, leg locks wouldn't work on me, bro, or not on the street, or I would, you know, gouge your eyes or, you know, picking on their favorite fighter and they start rattling off his whole career achievements. It's like, man, like this is, this should be, like you're saying, a reflection on what your problem is. Yeah, 100%. You know, speaking of which, I have to ask you because, you know, I've seen like you're very prolific as far as like the amount of posts that you, you do. And I see other people who do the memes also like that. How do you do it? Because 
for me to think of something f clever and funny, it would be like. Takes me a minute. Yeah. Not, not, not a minute. Yeah, yeah. A good day or so. Like, oh, I'm gonna get a good singer on, you know. But, but I mean, it's amazing that you. I always stand in awe when I see, man, this guy's posting like five, six memes in one day, and they're all hilarious. You know, yeah. it's like yeah. how it's do you skill. like? It's a skill. So I'm just wondering, like, for us common plebeians, like, how do you? How do you get there where you have such good creativity and you can just spot things like boom right away? Well, this is something people ask me every now and again. Um, I'm sure that there's a skill to it and I'm sure I could show you a few tricks, but like really it doesn't seem hard to me, which is is weird. So I guess there there must be something to it, like a talent of some sort that I didn't know existed because it's never really been that difficult. But my process generally is I'll find a picture first and it's it's just something about it is like, okay, there's definitely something there. How can this apply to jujitsu? And and really like having been in it for 13 years now, I've seen and heard enough of all of the different tropes and things in in the zeitgeist of jujitsu and, and in training and in how people think and talk that the jokes become pretty obvious when I see the pictures. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I mean, like, you know, I remember the one with like Wagner Hosha and AJ again. And I, I don't know if it was, but like it had like it was playing with that that three hundred quote that goes like right. this is Sparta, and it goes this is Tampa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. It just writes itself. Was sometimes. that you? Was that you or no? No, that one wasn't me. No. That, that was great, man. That was so good. <laughs> uh, there's some other really good. I think this one was you. There was one with was like it was like making sh like shitting on like IBJJF advantages, and the guy's missing the plug. Was that you? Yeah. Was like putting it into the walls, like almost there, like almost, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The almost technique. <laughs> what almost is it worth, technique. really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, man. It's uh, um, now it, it it does take a skill because I'm I'm like that. Like I, I every now and then I'll have a moment. I'm like, oh man, that'd be a good meme. But I, I guess if you're in his industry, if you're doing what he's doing, like your mind is constantly looking for things. Like you're always on the lookout yeah. for like what you know what could potentially be something that's going to entertain the public. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it is. And again, it's probably background noise to me at this point. It just sort of sort of just happens. You just see it and it happens. Uh, I got, if you don't mind me switching topics on you here, is one of the things I was excited because, David, this is the first time I've actually met you. I've known of you for a very long time because of your uh, Kimura Trap and ADCC and all that. So I've been a fan, been following you for years. Nice to meet you officially. Um yeah. What one thing now that the three of us have in common that for me is semi new. It's been like the last three years or so. Is I've been focusing a lot on the instruction side of jujitsu, and I know that that's something obviously with your uh, Kimura trap. You have a lot of experience, and obviously Rob, he's been leading uh, an entire affiliation basically for years. Um, I, I'd like to get into that topic with you guys, like sure. the difference between doing jujitsu and teaching jujitsu? Because I think this is a subtle thing that a lot of people don't understand until they have to do it. Yes, uh, it's definitely a skill. And I think all of us have known guys who are great competitors, but they couldn't show you anything, you know, because mm -hmm. they, they're, they're good at absorbing knowledge, but they're not as good as yeah. delivering knowledge. And it's not even the, the fact of knowing teach it's knowing how to teach exactly so it's a whole other skill set you know and i think that's the difference between your top competitor versus your top coach yeah. it's rare where you have both you got a guy like rob you know who's like <laughs> he's got it all going on he's, a, he's an excellent instructor he's also an excellent competitor 
but I find that if you can tie them both in, it, it makes you, because one of the things I know personally, I got better at teaching. I mean, I better at uh, competing the more I taught because yeah. I, I was able to understand techniques at a higher level because some people can absorb a technique and only understand it on a superficial level. Like maybe I could, you know, I understand it and I could do it myself without problems. But mm -hmm. when I have to teach it, I might have that same level of understanding and try to pass it to Rob, but he doesn't get it. I have to go another level deep. And by going another level deep, maybe I get to him, but I also learn some new nuggets into that particular technique that elevates mine. Like yeah. now like, oh, I can leverage this more than ever. Like I know like one of the things I teach a lot for like the Kimura trap system and all that is shoulder pressure, right? Like top side Kimura, a lot of people, and I see it's still top where they, they just, you know, sit up and pull and you can see that guy's upper body from the bottom come up. Right. And, and that to me, if I see that, I know that guy's missing something because that's the shoulder relieving pressure whenever someone crunches up like that. You know, so if I'm able to keep shoulder pressure, when I apply that Kimura, now there's no relief. So right. the tap right. becomes instant, you know, and that's a little nugget that I figured out that now makes that move a whole lot more effective. And there's tons of them out there. I, I think that they influence each other, to be honest. So like, I think I became, because you can be a phenomenal athlete and execute all these techniques and not have a clue of what you're doing, right? Oh, and then you can be a guy who breaks it down, but perhaps has a more limited arsenal or understanding because he's trained very little in his life, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, and then the guy gets away with, you know, maybe because he's, he's got other qualities, puts his heart and soul into it. But I think like that, the, the, the combination of both is important. Like, I think I was fortunate enough, like we were part of a generation a lot of the young competitors don't get this stat. It's good and bad because we have to teach to make a living. Whereas yeah. if you're Bushesha, you don't have to teach to make a living. You're fine. You, you get you can make enough from sponsors. You can just train twice a day and that's all you have to do. Um, but it was like an exercise of like trying to better understand the move for yourself. And consequently, you did a better job at explaining it to your students. And I think that's uh, that's something that's lost. Like I do at my gym, I have a new program. It's an internship for all colored belts. It's mandatory. Mm -hmm. My gym, right? And I've been trying to push the affiliations to do the same thing because I think people benefit from it. But for you to get your black belt or zenith, you have to have taught 60 classes to beginners, either children Perfect. or white belts. Because if some people are like, oh, that means I'm going to work for 60 hours for free. I'm like, yep. That's exactly <laughs> what it means. It's an internship because when you, when you become a doctor, you don't just get a degree after school. You actually have to have some practice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like we have to start looking at fighting the same way. It's a lot of responsibility and it's a skill. And you'd be surprised. I thought my brown belts have three stripes on their brown belts. They trained for 10 years. You throw them and go, teach this white belt. His first class. You'd be surprised. They freeze. Yeah. This guy's <laughs> one step away from a black to freeze. Like he's never taught before. Yeah. He's never taught. He has no idea what to do. So I make my guys teach and once they get the hang of it, they actually enjoy it. At the end, they're like, oh, man, thanks for that. Because I'm walking out of here with a skill that I would have not walked out of here with, you know, if I had just gotten my black belt and nothing, you know, with no teaching experience. Yeah, that's right. It's coincidentally, that's something that I've been instituting myself in my own gym. So since we've reopened after our first shutdown, uh, we've gotten to 10 adult classes a week, five in the weekdays in the afternoon, five in the evenings. And as it stands right now, uh, the afternoon classes, if there's a color belt in it, the ranking color belt is the one in charge of teaching the instruction for that class. I'm still there. They can ask me questions if they need to um, rattle stuff off me. But my objective is I expect my color belts to be able to start uh, verbalizing 
what they know. And I, I don't expect them to teach all of jujitsu, but I'm like, you're good at at least one or two things better than the people in the room. Like you, you have a game, you have a thing that you do. Explain that now in words. And that's, that's talent. Um, I found having to teach now myself. I think about this a lot. I, I really put a lot of thought into the verbiage that I use so that I can make it as easy as possible to come from my mouth to somebody's brain and have it stick. There's, there's like a certain balance of what you words you use, how many words you use, what you focus on specifically, if there's one core thing you need them to understand for this thing. And, and just having to do that class after class after class sort of whittles down, just like training jujitsu, it whittles down the path of least resistance. Yeah. No, 100%. I, I like the... Uh, um... I think everyone should teach at some point, man. Like, I think it's it's a skill you get better at. Like, I I still find myself improving as a teacher. Mm -hmm. It's been almost 20 years that I've been teaching. And I still find, like, I, I'm not done learning. I, I still no. get a kick out of it. I've been recently teaching beginners. And I, found, I used to hate teaching beginners. I've been teaching beginners <laughs> class at the gym now. And I found, like, I, I really enjoy explaining an arm bar from mount to someone. And it sounds like, oh, that's so simple. How could you enjoy that? And I used to hate it because it's so simple. Like, how can you not know this? This is so obvious, you know. But I enjoy it because I get feedback from the white belt that I don't get from my color belt. So when I teach a De La Hiva right. suite for my purple belt, he's like, yeah, 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 cool, whatever. You know, and then it doesn't, there's no such thing as is enough for that crowd. But for someone who just walked through the door, a mom, and she learns how to do a Kimura, she see the look on her face when she yeah. finishes someone's Kimura. She's so happy. She's so happy she learned her naked choke. And I get like, oh, man, you, you're happy. Like, I'm happy because you're happy now. Yeah. You know? yeah. I'm getting the kick out of it that um, I, I used to not get. But I think it's um, it, it's people that don't teach are missing out on something. Like, it's a very rich experience. I think it's your martial arts experience is overall uh, impoverished if you don't teach. Yeah. Um, sorry, go ahead, Dave. You look like you're going to say something. Oh, just that I do agree that it's – Part of the martial arts experience is the the giving back, yeah. right? right? I feel so, like myself when I started. Uh, I would say wrestling was the first true. I, I did jikondo for a year, but it was more like katas and stuff, and wasn't really the combative nature that, for example, wrestling gave me. But like once I, even when I was wrestling, I was already starting to teach like buddies that weren't wrestling. Like I felt it just came very natural. I want to give like this is doing good for me. Like, mm -hmm. maybe it's going to help you and let me show you this. I, I think it's an important part, that communication, going back and forth and try to spread the art. Because ultimately, I mean, you know it better than us now with the, with your book. But that's the goal is to spread the art, get it yeah. everywhere. You know what I mean? And if you're not doing your part in teaching, I mean, then the legacy can die. After. It's, yeah. I mean, it's a seed. It's a plant. It lives its life and then it lays its seeds so the, 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 mm -hmm. it continues. You know? Yeah, I mean, we... We definitely make a living from what we're doing, but that's not why we're doing it. We do it because we're passionate and it has kind of like a philanthropic feel to it. Like you're giving something to people like this is something that's depending on what you're teaching them could be hundreds of years of knowledge has come down to yeah. the way that this is applied to the human body. That is as real today as it was back then. But if people weren't teaching between then and now, where would it have gone? You know, it's left in hieroglyphics, <laughs> you know? Yeah. This um, there's there's something here that that Rob you were touching on before about um, the difference between competitors that really know how to do it at a high level and instructors that know how to explain it at a high level. Something that I've been, like I said, 
put a lot of thought into this. This is like my main focus right now is is sort of like the meta of instruction, how best to do it, how best to make people get the most out of it. And I feel like the more I look into how to explain situations, concepts, ideas, uh, game theory, it's is uh, like most people when we're teaching and, and when I was learning, it's kind of step by step, technique by technique. You learn the one through three to get from here to there, the A through B, very linear progression. And you kind of have to, to not overload somebody at first, but then, if that's the only system that you've been learning from, by the time you get to black belt, um, like I would say that 20% of what I do in a given role is conscious. And I would say 80% of what I do is unconscious. And I think that that's a travesty if you don't understand the 80%. So this is what I'm yeah. trying to, to understand with each of these transitions, with each of these positions is what am I subconsciously doing that I learned kinetically while doing this for years and years that maybe I don't even know is important. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely where a lot of the games in the game will lie is on the unconscious. Like you said, because you just do it. Yeah. But, and, and that's what an athlete, like an elite competitor will do. He just does things and he does that's it right. at a really, really high level, but he doesn't have to question it, particularly if he's successful with it. But that doesn't mean that he's mastered it. Like there could be more in that space. And that's kind of where I think instruction has its benefit because your unconscious effort would be someone's conscious effort. And they're going to ask you like, uh, I'm doing this wrong. And you're like, well, that's right. Sometimes you have, you have to get in there like, well, let me show you. And then like when you're doing it, you're like, oh, this is the part that this guy's getting. Yeah. Yeah. And now I can pull, I, I can make this now, like you said, consciously available to me yeah. and then amplify it and make it better so yes for sure because i i feel like i have probably more experience in this than a lot of people because seminars is always the same seminar it's always <laughs> the more chop system i've got like hundreds of them so i'm always teaching the same stuff but what's awesome about it is i'm always teaching it to different people yes. and everybody and of all different skills i've taught from like five-year-olds up to like a 70-year-old you know, men, women, people missing limbs and stuff. So from white belt to black belt, you know, belt. So I get to see like the whole range of, you know, skill sets and body types. And I could still boil everything down, you know, and like I pull little pieces from questions that people ask me and then I'm able to make a yeah. new answer, you know, so it becomes very powerful, but it's hard on like what you're doing is, is I believe is the right idea. Just look at yourself and, do a role and then think okay everything that i can't remember is a problem right <laughs> because if you just it just happened unconsciously i know uh for my brother and i in the early days we would always film our sparring matches okay and then we would watch the sparring afterwards like particularly just to see like wait 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 wait, what, what was that that you just did you yeah, know right. and Jesus. then and, and break that down you know and then okay now let's actually make this a move i, I used to do this thing uh from the close guard, just do a cartwheel from the close guard. Yeah. And it would open the guard up. But like I was just doing it because I was a spaz, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was only into reviewing video, like, oh, that's actually a thing I do. Okay. Yeah. You know, and uh, I have a bunch of moves like that. I went, I probably my most successful move that I didn't even know until I watched video was what I call like a double leg slide. I remember I, I took down Jeff Monson with this, I took down a bunch of dudes. 
but in my head, I always thought it was a single leg. I know you took out Jeff Munson, man. That's a that's a that's yeah, a man. That was, that was, a, that was <laughs> that's a, an achievement. That was right a count of my shit, feather right there. Jeff that was guy's one of, is like, the best wrestler. I mean, I'm not like at the ADCC level. He's one of the most successful wrestlers of all time. I mean, the history of ADCC. Yeah, back like this is like 2004, 2005. He was, he was still killing it. But I remember I thought I took him down with a head inside single leg. But then when I went to review the match, I'm like. It was actually a transition. Like I actually slid on both knees, like doing a shot. But I would slide to both knees, and then it started off as a double, and then I slid all the way out. So then my head popped my, my side, and then it became a head inside single. And I realized that's why I burned everybody with that shot because they thought a double leg was coming. They would sprawl, but then I would end up behind them. Yeah. Oh. And I didn't even know I was doing it until yeah, I watched yeah. the video. And then I'm like, oh crap! Now I can actually you know make this better and understand what i'm doing but you know it's, it's like we have two separate brains there's the, the conscious brain memory right and then there's your body that just thinks by itself and i always tell people for the purpose of fighting you want your body doing as much thinking as possible because yes. if you have to consciously be aware of what you're doing you slow yourself down then your hesitation and your doubting versus if your body's just going on autopilot you're always going to be faster and react uh, uh, you know quicker but as an instructor, you have to be able to do exactly what Dave was describing, which is analyzing these all this movement that's going on that your body is responsible for, right? And you're not always aware of what you're actually doing. And that has happened to me more times than I can count where I'm showing a move that I do. And while I'm showing, because my body is moving in a certain way, I go like, oh, oh, and by the way, I'm shifting my weight on my left shoulder. I didn't <laughs> yeah. realize I was actually adding a lot of weight on that shoulder. That's why the move was working. It was only when I taught that I made myself aware of it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're going going to the uh, the teaching thing, like because you're you're at you're talking about like how how to teach and methodology. Yeah. One thing I always advise gym owners because if you're only dealing with athletes, you have a room of like 20 athletes. It's actually easier because everyone in there is looking at the same thing and want the same thing. It's actually an easier methodology, right? <clears throat> But when you're in a class, what I always advise instructors, you have to look at the room. This is what I do when I teach seminars. I look at the average of the room. What is the average of the room? You get a bunch of moms, two athletes, or you get a bunch of athletes, two moms, right? And then we're going to go, where is it that I'm going to have my teaching? And you have to be able to read the room. And that's a very different skill that doesn't come without experience. Because if you don't have experience, you're going to go in there and show the room your best move, right? But that's not what the room wants. Right. You know, so, so I'm trying to find if I have a bunch of like, I'm sorry, chubby people, I'm not going to show Burton Bolos, you yeah. know, and, and, you, and you get these seminars and it's hard at seminars because you get from white to black, old and young, advanced beginner, you get all these different, you know, variables and like, how can I teach something that's going to make everyone happy? Uh -huh. And that is a skill too. And that doesn't, because it's not necessarily a, um, you know, because there's certain things that are universal, like rear naked chokes are universal, arm bars are universal, the kimura is universal. But there's some things, like this because it's plain all the time, like people struggle doing certain things. And if you're showing that, the room is not approving it. And they, maybe you're getting a kick out of it, but if the room doesn't like it, are you a good instructor? Yeah. Yeah, there's a few self-defense seminars I've run for like CrossFit gyms. And one of the moves that consistently blows people's minds, which again, to your point, is hilarious from our point of view, is a technical stand-up. They they love it. They're like, wow, that was so smooth. It, this is like a Turkish get-up. I understand this, you know? Yes. And, and yes. you plug that into a guard escape on bottom and getting back to your feet, like something somebody who doesn't want to fight needs, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like the most basic part of jujitsu, and th their whole mind just gets blown. You know where the technical stand-up comes from, though? I just learned this recently. I just mm -hmm. learned this from your podcast, so you go for it. Yeah, it <laughs> from, comes from Capoeira. Uh, that blew my mind. Yeah, BJJ absorbed the technical stand-up, because Capoeira used to be a lot more MMA-oriented back in the day. Mm -hmm. But one of their ways of standing back up was kicking from the ground and on the way back, standing back up. So they right. would kick you off the technical stand-up and then pull the leg back and stand back up. That's not judo. You've never seen a judo club that does the technical stand-up. Yeah, that that blew my mind. But once you said it, I was like, of course, it even looks like capoeira. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. one of the few. I mean, one of the many. But um, yeah, you know, you're 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 absolutely correct. Like the there's you know, teaching is is an art, man. Like I, I I'm still in love with it, man. Like I still mm -hmm. enjoy teaching because I feel like much like grappling, it's never ending. Even though yeah. like as a grappler, my body I have to, I have like so many miles left in my body. I have to manage those miles. That's kind of how I look at it now. Like I got X amount of miles left. I want to manage them intelligently, right? But teaching is something I, you know. I think that's an, that's an intelligent way to manage it right there. Uh, and I, I think that like you would know this more than anybody because of all the red belts you talked to in the last few years is that is the most that an elderly person who does jujitsu can give somebody is the knowledge they've, they've gained over decades of doing it and you know like one thing um it's something that we don't value because mm -hmm. i mean when i was a kid there was a thing that you are we're from a generation where people are like listen to your elders like that was a thing yeah it's not a thing anymore <laughs> no one lives no. an old man Shut now up. they say okay and, boomer yeah <laughs> and, yeah and, and, and i'm talking to these guys right and then yeah, they can't show me moves. Like he showed, like one time I was getting corrected on my guillotine defense. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure my guillotine defense is better than his. But, you know, like I'm not going to say that, of course. But like it was not that you get out of it. You get this life wisdom, man. Like you sit yeah. down with these guys. They've been through everything you're going through. And they know what the answer is. Mm -hmm. Like that's some legit knowledge, man. It's just people we don't value it anymore. But like while I'm with them, I'm always constantly trying to pick their brains. I'm like you know, learn something because, you know, your grandpa does have a lot to teach you. It's just that we decided to listen to Tony Robbins and Gary Vee instead, but your grandpa's <laughs> way more experienced than both those guys put together. And yeah. he does have a lot to teach you, but we just don't, you know, we just don't pick their brains enough. Yeah, think. you don't ask, right? Um, my, my one grandpa was a war veteran in the Second World War. Uh, he was on, uh, yeah, he was in the Navy. And he... This is the thing is I was young when he died, like I was no eight or nine years old. But there was a couple times when I went over to his place and I didn't ask to to know about stories. But he asked if I wanted to go to the war museum with him. And so I would I, I remember one time specifically I went to the war museum with him and I'd never been. I was like, oh, cool. We're going to see some planes and bombs. Sounds like fun. So uh, he takes me down and I'm, I'm sort of uh, wide eyed looking around at, at all of these little uh, displays that they have. And it, I knew that my grandpa was in the war. That didn't really mean much to me at that age. I was like seven years old. Yeah. But uh, I remember walking along like a. 15 20 foot long torpedo replica and i was running my hands along it and looking at all the components just wowing and wooing over this thing and then i looked over to my grandpa and i'll never forget the look in his face it was like a thousand miles off and he said this thing killed a lot of my friends Ooh. and there's some yeah yeah there's yeah. stories that we can't even comprehend of the people that we don't necessarily the time to get from them that's that, that 
could be life-changing, you know. And, and I hear these stories and I imagine the suffering and, and the strength that has to come from that suffering from people like your grandfather. Because every day I have a bad day at the gym. Like someone forgets to pay some bill or, you know, some student complains. And that shit bugs me. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, I hear stories like this. But imagine what your grandpa went through. I mean, how you can't even begin. I mean, it's the, the strength that comes from that. Because we have never experienced anything like that. Imagine no. seeing your friends get blown up in front of you. Like, yeah. You know, it's it just I I feel like we you know I'm 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 soft in comparison. There's a much tougher generation, and that should come with a lot of respect and appreciation. Yeah. I feel like, and I think that you know perhaps out of ignorance more than anything, we don't appreciate that in the elderly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you said, it's not in the culture anymore. It's it's we've become not only soft but like sardonic. Like we, we look at everything with kind of a slant to, to it, like a little dark humor instead of the respect that it deserves. Like we, yeah. we are allowed to live soft because of the hard men for the last few hundred yes, years who yes. fought for that. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you, uh, mm-hmm. I know you're also a Kimura aficionado. <laughs> yeah, I guess we got the, <laughs> oh, the, yeah. two, the two popular Kimura guys on the same podcast now. This is kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny because I have a in my Kimura trap. I have a re, what I call a reverse Kimura trap. But okay. I've seen I've seen some of the stuff you're doing, which is a different angle that I'm doing. Yes. But, uh, uh, t- tell us a little bit how you got into the reverse Kimura game. Sure. So this is this is definitely not something I created. I hate it when people say that I made this move. Uh, I'm not trying to say that. But what I did was basically what we were talking about. That like this was a a grip essentially that I had used from time to time since I was a purple belt. I, I found a a video of me playing around with it in 2011. So it's been like nine years that I've been playing around with it. But I started putting some actual focus into it for about a year in 2018 between 2018 and 19, where I was like. There's more here that I, I'm missing. That This is more than just like a, an avenue to the back. Because basically people use it oftentimes from like a, a open or closed guard to essentially be an arm drag to get back exposure. But I started finding sweeps. I started finding submissions. I started finding transitions that all stemmed from the same start. So I, I put some actual... Um, effort into expanding that and not necessarily systematizing it because I wouldn't say it's a system but I looked at it from as many different angles as I could and just sort of made this culmination uh, into two different series. One is from the closed guard and one is from the half guard and they, they have slight variations and differences but essentially it's it's just a it should be a versatile tool as far as a grip is concerned that I don't think people were getting enough use out of. So that, that's how that came about. Cool. No, I'm always a fan of anybody doing Kimura stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, you know what? I'll send you a copy and you can check it out. I think uh, there's some cool stuff in there. I'd love to see your your take on. Nice. Send two. Nice. Um, uh, no, I, I, I there's like a couple I do from that reverse Kimura. I don't have sequences. I have like that one to um, the Omoplata, which I transitioned to, and then the bicep slice. So those are the two ones yeah. I use all the time. Really, I've been using more and more in the last few years. But, like, I don't have a whole bunch of sequences there. So, yeah, I'm always, like, looking at, like, different ways of, of, of using old tricks and, like, adding new, mm-hmm. new tools to it. That's, like, it's never, it's never ending, is it, man? 
Yeah, well, it's just like, it's, it's like uh, the it's Hubble just, telescope. So what are you done? There's no end to this. Like. <laughs> you know, you can you can point the Hubble telescope at, at uh, something that looks like the size of a pin in outer space and just let it sit there for a number of days, and it will pull enough light to show you galaxies you didn't know existed. It's kind of the same thing. We're never going to see yeah. all the galaxies because there's so many to focus in on. Oh, that there's I've gotten a better appreciation of the scale of the universe. I don't know, you guys. I remember. Like, I think it was me or maybe my girlfriend. She had mentioned that they had these video games uh, or computer games that were like the biggest like game world okay. in like all time. And the one that uh, popped up was called a game called Elite Dangerous, which is sci-fi space like plane. Mm -hmm. But essentially, it's a size of the the galaxy, of the Milky yeah. Way galaxy. And it contains the whole Milky Way galaxy, and it's like procedurally generated so like it has all these planets and you know stars oh my god and i loaded it up played it and just like you could do like these it's actually like very scientific apparently they got like astrophysicists to help them do the modeling and all that yeah. and whatever they, they got but you can travel in the game like light speed like going like 40 times the speed of light and you're there, and after like an hour, you've only traveled across like maybe like ten like ten yeah. solar systems, you know. And yeah. when you look at the at the map of the game, it's like you're here, and then this is just one quadrant of this galaxy, and the galaxy is like this. Uh, <laughs> and when you're flying through the thing, it's just all space around you, and you see like a giant sun and stuff like that. And you're like, man, like I would have to play this game for like my whole life. And then hand it down to my my grandkids so they can keep trying to explore this whole. Because you can't yeah. get. Yeah, because I guess they yeah. say in the stats of the game world only like 0.8 percent has been explored. <laughs> of wow. course, yeah. There's yeah. a real time aspect, right? Yeah, exactly. It was to me, it was like fascinating. Like, imagine you were able to create this, and nobody. Chances are, people are never <laughs> going to see the whole thing, which is just mm -hmm. bizarre. I, I don't like to say that life is insignificant. So, insignificant is not the word I'm going to use. But we're pretty small in the grand scheme of things. You know? Yeah, yeah. We're pretty. We're you know, we're just you know, this little, you know, talking species on the edge of a small galaxy. You know, but it's 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 kind of like it kind of puts you place to like I, I like it but it's the same time it's kind of disturbing i would <laughs> like to believe that we are the center of the universe you know but yeah. i don't think that's the case. Yeah, it's probably a safer beach. way to think it, it's too, it's too big for our brains otherwise and you'll start uh getting depressed <laughs> yeah there's there's a there's an edge there what we you know what we can understand yeah there's uh, something I wanted to leave on. I know you're probably running out of time here, so I want to get this in because uh, the topic of instruction. And again, I, I really respect you guys for what you've done. You're, you're an inspiration. And uh, I pull a lot of um, you know, motivation and inspiration from, from both of what you guys have done and are doing. Uh, my objectives, the thing that kind of pushes me, because I said like my focus is really, really, really on teaching and and conveying information to people now that's really my uh, my passion about jujitsu like i could give a shit how many more medals i ever win this is what really matters to me right now um do you know what epistemology is yeah study of yeah. knowledge 
That's right. Yeah, I took a I took a dictionary definition here, so I won't get it wrong. But it's uh, <laughs> the theory of knowledge, especially with regards to its methods, validity, and scope. Epistemology is the investigation of what distinguished justified belief from opinion, and that is kind of like my my guiding arrow to try to find what is true in jujitsu. That eighty percent that I'm unconsciously doing. What am I doing? Why is it working? Does it work? Could it be better? And trying to find like these these big things that can consciously make somebody's game better faster. That's huge, man. That's huge. It's finding like the the best. I honestly don't think that you know in in the jujitsu world that they we have really narrowed it down to an ideal system because we train very differently from wrestlers and judokas, and I yes. wonder why if they're not doing it right and we're all doing it all wrong. And sometimes I tell myself, well, there's more impact in Jew and wrestling. That's why they drill so much and there's less live action, for example, mm -hmm. right? But I don't know, man. Like, I'm doing the same thing. I've been in a process of refining my teaching methods for, for as long as I've been teaching, and I'm still tweaking it. Like, I still yeah. do more of this. I'm still trying to figure out exactly what works best that, you know, once again, looking at the class that you have. Like, who are you teaching right now, right? Mm -hmm. Um but you're right, man. Like it's, um, I think that's part of the job too. Is to, it's to perfect that. Is to be constantly sharpening that tool and not be like, oh, I'm done. This is the teaching method that my teacher taught me, and this is how I'm going to hand it yeah. down. Because then there's no more evolution. No, nothing interests be, me less than people that teach like that. No, you got to be tweaking. I mean, you got to be adapting, selecting, and perfecting. And I think that I think the whole community is better off that way. That's one thing about BJJ that I. For all, I mean, I you know, con comparing it to judo, I think judo has been more fixed in its canon over the years. Yep. Whereas BJJ, and I, and I, I talk about this in on my book, like I call it the culture of open software, and that's what it is. There's no curriculum. Like people don't even have a curriculum until a few years ago. People start writing stuff down because it was all about what works for you and how you're going to change this and how you're going to make yeah. it better. It was very open for all to tweak. And I think that's probably one of the most endearing qualities about jiu-jitsu is that it is open for everyone to modify. Mm -hmm. And I think there, the, the, the problem with teaching is that, like you said, there's a lot of ways of doing it. I feel that one of the, the, the common mistakes that like rookies make when they're trying to teach is that they try to teach the perfect execution to a beginner student which is never going to work. I always like to say, like, you know, the statue of David wasn't made in one day. Yeah. Right? Like, you don't, you're not going to chisel that masterpiece on that one student. And you can, you can demoralize somebody by trying to get them to get perfection. And when they don't reach it, you're like, uh, okay, and then I'll come to you later. And yeah. now you just, that person's spirit just dropped a little bit. And, you know, there's a saying for, our, we have an instructor training program. And one of the things we say is that your students either one step closer to the black belt Oh, one step further. Yeah. And every day you teach, you know, so obviously the goal is to get them closer every day. And, you know, one of the things is morale. You all know, like in the beginning, to keep those people in, you have to keep them happy. You have to keep them excited and motivated. So you can't be demotivating at any point. And I think one of the things to understand is that you're not going to get the perfect execution off the get-go. So like it ha that has to be part of your teaching as well, which is if I'm going to show you, for example, a car engine, or just even a car. And then I'm gonna to explain to you, this is how a car works, talking about every process, the engine, the combustion, <laughs> hydraulics. You're never gonna get the like, idea of a car. It's just gonna blow your mind away. Yeah. But if I show you a car, four wheels, vroom, vroom, like, okay, now, okay, a car is transportation. 
good. That's day one. Then day two, like, okay, now we'll break down different parts of it. So I, for me, technique is the same way. Like if I'm going to teach an, an arm bar or something like that, let me get like the, for a beginning student, just the baseline view of what an arm to look like, right? And then next time around, okay, little details. Because now you're ready for those little details. Yeah. You know, because you have something to work off of. And like continuing that journey. Like you don't learn an arm bar in one, two days, a week, a month. It's years. I know for me, mm -hmm. double leg, I still learn things about double leg. Right. So the the misconception that there's like an endpoint to yeah. learn. Like, no, you know, you've, you've learned some <laughs> jujitsu, right? And you're going to continue to learn, you know? But that's what makes it rich, too. Like, imagine if you were, you know, every white belt wants to, they want this right here. What's the best choke? What's mm -hmm. the best sweep? What's the best takedown? But if we had that, imagine how incredibly boring it would be because it yeah. would be, be too easy. Thing. And then you close it down, too, where you go, oh, this, this is it. This is how you do it. There's no other way of doing this. You can't, you know, adapt or change this move. Like, man, it would be so boring. It's because yeah. it's constantly changing, and I think it's so enticing. And I, <clears throat> I have this argument with people many times. I was always thinking about, you know, the future of jiu-jitsu. Is it a fad? I don't think judo is a fad. I don't think judo is going to go anywhere. I think it's established, and it will remain what it is for the next hundred years like they did the, they did it right bjj sometimes worries me because it's not as cohesive as judo is mm -hmm. but there is something about jiu-jitsu that i think that other martial arts perhaps lacks it's precisely what we're talking about it's very it's not only has a very friendly and laid-back culture but the 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 ability for everyone to insert something new in the technique makes it very engaging very enticing because now you have a canon of techniques that is the opposite of fixed it is mm -hmm. constantly changing. If you're and if you're not following, you're not keeping up. You're out of jiu-jitsu for three years. You're completely outdated, and that doesn't happen in other sports. You cannot wrestle for five years and you come back, and it's like not that much has changed. I feel yeah. like because yeah. wrestling's been around for a lot longer, judo same thing. But I feel like this because it, it allows for so much. The possibilities through jiu-jitsu are endless, and and like I literally like I like I was just talking to Keen about this a while ago, and. You know, he was doing something Muhammad Ali with, but I still don't know what he's doing. He's got to show me someday because I don't know what he was doing. Like he's doing stuff with a lapel that I don't know what the hell he's doing. Like I have to, I'm sure he could understand if he broke it down to me. Uh -huh. But it's just to give you an idea of how you blink and you get left behind. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, to put it back into video game terms for Dave because you were uh, talking about your uh, massive video game. Is you know. Um, some of the most popular games out there they call massive multiplayer online games uh, they're basically sandbox games is another way of thinking about it where there's no primary objective and you can kind of uh, do whatever you want in your world like grand theft auto kind of thing you can go around jacking cars you can make a gang you can try to shoot down a helicopter you know whatever you want to do for the day um the those are, are some of the most engaging games because, A, they have replay value. It's never boring, like you're saying. It's not just, well, I'm going to be yeah. drilling this leg drag for the next hour again, like I yeah. did yesterday. Um, but also, it's it's the, another thing the gaming industry has done a really good job of is called DLC, downloadable content. So uh, for jujitsu, you go on Instagram and be like, whoa, what the hell was that move? Every day, there's more videos out there. It's like, oh, I've never thought of that before. Why haven't I thought of that before? You know, yeah. it's it keeps making it re-engaging, and and the replay value, I guess you could call it, keeps going up. 
Yeah, that's that's it's a good way of putting it. It is like a um, a game that doesn't get boring. Yeah. Like it's not you don't you're you're always surprised. It's like I think anything that is you don't know what's on the other side. It's like like sex will get boring very quick if you know what's happening when you get home. Nine mm-hmm. o'clock. This is, and there's a routine to it, and then it just kills you, right? It's like, yeah, <laughs> you know. But if it's a novelty every time, it's like something's different, or in in you have that sort of energy with your partner, it just doesn't get old. It's just like this is incredible, right? And mm-hmm. we've all had both, so we know what that's like. And I think everything in life is like that. If it's there's something about not knowing, there's something about the excitement of what the buildup and, and and like a new experience every time, right? And jujitsu, in some ways, I guess. <laughs> Try and compare it to sex already. Looks like sex. <laughs> I'm letting you run with it. I want to see where you go. <laughs> it is like sex in a way where is you know it's more fun because if it's, cigar, if it's if it's different every time. Oh man, um, my mind just went like a whole new. <laughs> well, something to speak about jujitsu. I think that especially since we have you here on, it's something you haven't talked about because I've been I've been reading the book, the Close Guard. Cool. And, the one thing I haven't seen yet is where does the part come in about every six years that we're defending the planet against aliens? <laughs> I haven't seen that part of the sword fighting and stuff. Fuck, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> they teach you to the punch. I know, I know. Man. Like, some, one of my students made, like, a meme of, like, Nicolas Cage reading a closed guard book. I'm like, yeah, he should. Why did you shoot jujitsu? They're ruining it for everyone. Like, this is what's going to happen. You're going to get some kids that are going to walk through the door looking for a sword. Or maybe Kid from Naga had it right all along. And he's been laying the ground for the Nicolas Cage jujitsu movie, like handing out swords to all the kids. But yeah, man, I, I don't know what to make of that, bro. Like, why did they choose the word jujitsu is what I don't understand. Someone show me a screenshot because they messaged the official. Yeah, I sent that to you. That was that you okay, yeah. and then he took the explanation why, like, and I'm like, okay, let's assume that you do have sources for all those claims, and let's assume that that's true. That doesn't explain at all why you guys chose the title of that movie to be jujitsu. No, you're shitting on our jobs. You know, understand that, right? <laughs> just, just, just took a crap, a gigantic crack on like crap, like twenty plus years of experience, like trying to do something for this sport, and you guys just come along and yeah. it's the aliens now. In one move, they they turned everybody who does jujitsu into the guy online that goes actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, and, and someone makes the wrote something on my post like, man, Nicholas Cage has got to say no to some roles at some point. Like, <laughs> he, never, he just takes any role you yeah. give him. Like, he doesn't yeah. give him. No, man. Yeah. It's like, dude, you're a famous actor. He's not a bad actor, man. Like, you no. know, you got to, you know, he's got to have. He needs a better agent. I just don't know what else. How else to say. That's funny. Yeah. This is. It? Nope. Do you got any notes? Nope. Let's do it. Let's do it. I think he's just, that's exactly what he does. I think he's just looking at how much am I getting paid. I think that's the yeah. only number looking at it. Maybe that makes sense. Maybe he's at the end of his career. I don't know. But like, I would have been more, you know, more protective, I guess, of, of, of my career. He doesn't give a shit. But no, I but, think the, the hey, end result. Great for the memes, positive. though. Yeah, I think the end result, though, will be positive. Because at the end of the day, I think it's people are going to walk through the door looking for you. I think it just makes, it just right. gonna be disappointing. <laughs> that can, looks like, can, yeah, what is that? I was expecting that over there. You know? I was in the trades for a long time. One of my favorite expressions I took out of it was uh, making honey out of bear shit. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make some honey out of this. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think it's funny that they, because I saw on the Vagil movie poster it says, the ultimate fighters will rise. I was like, 
USC might have something to say uh, about that. That's a good one. I hope the USC goes after them. Maybe they'll change everything. Yeah, you can use ultimate anything, and it's a problem, and, you know? And they're, yeah. they're definitely building on that jujitsu slash UFC crowd. Yeah. yeah. Or they're yeah. trying to. They're not it. tricking anyone because even like ignorant fans will be able to tell that there's no jujitsu there. Like everyone knows, has an idea of what jujitsu is now. It's not like 1980s when no one knew. Everyone has an idea of what jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu is grappling today. Even, you know, maybe your grandma doesn't, but, you know, most people who have watched the UFC at some point or like martial arts, which is who they're targeting, understand the difference between jiu-jitsu and ninjutsu. I wonder if this is the way that karate and kung fu felt in the 70s, hitting the big screen. Like, we don't do that. <laughs> yeah, probably. Well, I know for them, actually, the... The movie, like the Karate Kid, was such a, an amazing thing for that industry because mm-hmm. it brought national attention to them and like people, moms are enrolling kids all over the place. Like it was one of the big booms in like karate. It was and, huge. And then by, I love the part with the aliens and the swords too. That was my bet, my favorite part of Karate Kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Might as well. I, I'm watching Cobra Kai though. You guys seen it? Yeah, I just finished I the saw, second I season. Some of it. I, I limped bad. through it to be honest. Yeah, it's, it's not great, but it's not bad. It's, 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 it's very corny, but it does bring yeah. back a lot. Of, they bring a lot of back to the '80s, and I, I yeah, like it, that. it's heavy on the nostalgia, but really not great on the character acting. No, and no, but what I do like is the um, the instructor. The well, I forget his name, but the Cobra Kai instructor. Uh, the older guy, so Crease. Yeah, no, 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 not that guy, but the, the main character. Oh, right? uh, yeah, 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 Johnny. Yeah, I just love how he talks shit to his students. I'm like, that's how I want to talk to my students. <laughs> that's, what like. that's exactly how I want to talk to my students every day, but yeah. I can't. You don't punch like that. You're not a pussy. <laughs> what? They talk yeah. shit to you online? What a bunch of pussies. That's <laughs> exactly how I feel about things. <laughs> uh, I'm that guy in some ways, I guess. <laughs> Fossilizing me. Well, I'm sure once the this jujitsu movie comes out, it's gonna give you a lot of memes. Oh yeah. This is this is something that I, I revel in, good or bad, I can make I can make that honey out of it. Sure. This has been a ton of fun and I hate to be the guy to shut it down, but I got a class starting about ten minutes here. No, no worries, man. Worries. We got uh, you know, please plug yourself. I know you have a bunch of instructionals. Yeah. Let people <clears> know sure. where they can find you. So depending on when this podcast comes out, uh, I've got a guard passing series that's about to drop in a couple days here. Uh, It's a companion to a guard retention series I did earlier this year in September, so they kind of vibe off of each other. Uh, It's almost like a a bad marketing ploy, like we're going to show you how to retain the guard, then we're going to show you how to smash it. So (laughs) you can sort of pick your favorite part and go for that, or learn them both. Um, And then of course, like we were talking about, I've got the reverse Kimura from closed guard and the reverse Kimura from half guard, which are both very popular. Um, Thousands of people looking into that. And like anything, if you don't know the trick, you're going to get caught by the trick. So it's better to know it. So uh, you can check those out because-jitsu.com. Follow me on Instagram at at because underscore jitsu.com or just, you know, at because jitsu. Uh, And my personal page on Instagram is drew.weatherhead. Awesome. All right, All awesome. Right. Very good. We'll make sure the good people know. Definitely check it out, guys, because just like uh, Drew was saying before, this is like DLC, right? Yeah. <laughs> Downloadable content. You got to add it to your game if you want to get better. And, you know, uh, for sure, a lot of the stuff you were highlighting, I think, uh, particularly your, way, your approach to teaching and trying to draw out the unconscious will be a valuable tip for people out there. And I've seen 
a bunch of the video clips. It's all good stuff. So make sure to go ahead and check out Drew's content. Awesome. Drew, thank you so much for coming on our show, man. I appreciate it. I haven't seen yeah, you in pleasure. person in quite some time, but I'm sure we'll catch up at some time. And, yeah, once uh, I can yeah, fly man. down to your country, I'll be there, man. Absolutely. <laughs> More than welcome. Come train with us. Come visit. And uh, keep up the good work, man. I'm sure we will stay in touch. And, uh, yeah, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Sounds Take good, care. man. Bye, guys. Hope you guys have fun. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. I know I got a bunch of laughs out of it myself. Again, uh, if you want to learn more or hear more from Drew, go ahead and visit his website, which is because-jitsu.com. Again, that's because jitsu.com and you can order his courses there like he was talking about scientific guard passing the reverse Kimura series from close guard from half guard you know it's something that I'm already going to check out for sure I've seen a lot of his clips already on Instagram but uh, time to pull the trigger and check out the course also I'm all about learning I, I'm a Kimura trap master you know but doesn't mean I know everything and particularly when people are coming out with new stuff I want to check it out make sure I got the cutting edge stuff uh, mastered so go ahead you can check it out there also uh, you're probably already following him but just in case on instagram he's at because underscore jitsu and his personal page which is more is not about memes it's actually about teaching so you should follow that as well which is at drew period weatherhead so again different places you can find them make sure you're following them at least one place so you can get all this content and learn and laugh final word from one of our sponsors which is bjjretreat.com bjjretreat.com is my website where i post my camps and you know because of covid things got a little crazier this year i didn't get to do as many uh retreats as i wanted i know now man we're already in october I remember I was talking about at the beginning of the year, I wanted to travel to like five or six different places around the world. Well, I guess the world had other plans, right? Um, so I'll bring the world to me, hopefully, and uh, we'll have some of you guys come down. I just finished a camp here in Las Vegas just a few weeks ago. That was a lot of fun. We had people from all over the United States coming by, and uh, we got to train, we got to chill out in the sauna, you know, we got to eat plenty, and then... Uh, eat good too and so if you're looking for a little escape from you know everything going on in the world las vegas is a great place to be uh you can come down here for a week the next camp is going to be going from december 1st through 7th and so it's seven days we'll do five days of training um and pretty much we usually do them three hour chunks and just get them out of the way in the middle of the day that way you have the rest of the day to unwind relax, go to the strip, you know, gamble away your life savings. Or you could do cool stuff like shooting, riding dirt uh, bikes, and all sorts of crazy stuff you can do out here. Pretty much anything you think of you, that you want to do, you can do. And uh, if you just want to chill out, like the last camp we had, nobody did anything crazy. We just chilled out for the most part and sat around talking to each other, uh, learning about life experiences. Great bonding opportunities, you know. Like every time I do one of these camps, I make friends, you know. I'll be in touch with the rest of my life. So that sounds like a good time to you. Besides learning a boatload of jujitsu and mixed martial arts, come and join us. Uh, again, the seats are, the spaces are limited because, of course, 
Uh, I'm hosting these from my home. So you'll get to be with me and we'll hang out all day pretty much. I have a bunch of guest rooms here. And we have the mats here. It's like a 500 square foot area. I have a home gym. I got a sauna here that's for like eight people. We do ice baths. Uh, we're adding more stuff all the time. Lots of massage tools, massage chairs. We have a masseuse that will come by here also. So a really good time. Uh, again, you can visit bjjretreat.com to learn all the details, the schedule, pricing, etc. And uh, again, we are still currently in early registration. So that means you get 20% off the registration fee. That saves you a good chunk of money. And uh, you can go ahead and visit again, bjjretreat.com to learn more.